Today's episode is sponsored by the Rising Tide Mastermind. The Rising Tide Mastermind is where people just like you get together every week to help each other with issues. Let's face it, issues are hard, so why start from square one when somebody can tell you what they've done with a similar issue? If this sounds like something that's interesting to you, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind to see if the Rising Tide Mastermind is right for you. Welcome to Scaling Up H2O, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. My name is Trace Blackmore, host of the Scaling Up H2O podcast. And folks, this is episode 353. I am always amazed by being in the mid 300s now. And I remember what it was like when I started out on episode one and had no idea if this thing was going to work, had no idea what I was doing in front of this microphone. And I have a microphone stand, so I wasn't lifting the microphone. But folks, let me tell you, that microphone should have weighed 5,000 pounds. It was one of the hardest things that I ever did. And I'm sure glad I got over that because I cannot think of anything I look forward to more than coming to you each and every week with this episode, with the next episode, with all the new episodes that we bring. I love doing this podcast. And not too many years before I started this podcast, I didn't even know what a podcast was. So all that to say, there is a passion inside you and you have not found it yet. I guarantee it. And there are things that I'm going to love doing 20 years from now. And I haven't even learned about those things yet. And how cool is that? Life just has a way of giving you new pleasures. You just need to be open for them. So be sure to keep your eyes open. Be sure to keep your ears open. What's the next thing that you are going to do that you are absolutely going to love? One of the things I love is being in the water treatment industry. I was so fortunate my father introduced me into this industry. And because of that, I have never been bored a day in my life in this industry. So how fortunate are all of us within the Scaling Up Nation that we are in the best job in the world, and I just love that I get to host the podcast that serves the best job in the world. Well, some of the things that I look forward to each and every year is seeing so many of you at some of the events that uh, we might collectively be at. And one of the things that I get told time and time again when we do meet in person is how much people enjoy us letting them know, you know, what is going on in the future. Because let's face it, there's a lot going on. We are busy working day to day, job by job, customer to customer, returning phone call to phone call, all of those things it is very difficult to keep up with what is happening in our industry. So we make that easy for you. Our team makes that easy for you. And here's something that's coming up just next week. And I'm so excited about this. This is the Frisco, Texas version of the AWT Technical Training Seminar. 
Yes, we're going to be in Frisco, Texas. I will be in Frisco, Texas. That's going to be March 6th through 9th. And I hope to see you there. I get the privilege of teaching the sales training. I do some courses in fundamentals and applications. I do my math course. And a lot of times I get the honor of filling in when somebody is not able to make it. So I guarantee if you are at this training, you will have me as an instructor. But don't just sit in the audience. Come up, introduce yourself to me. I love getting to meet people within the Scaling Up Nation. So I hope to see you there if you're going to be in Texas next week. And if you're not, maybe you're going to Cleveland, Ohio the following month, and that's going to be April 17th through 20th, and I'm going to be teaching the exact same things there. So I will see you if you are in the audience. And of course, if you want more information about these, we're going to have that on scalinguph2o.com. Go over to our events page and we will have everything you need to know and links on how to know even more. Also coming up is World Water Day. And World Water Day is taking place on March 22nd. And something we do each and every World Water Day, or within the week that that falls, is we talk about World Vision's Global 6K. And this is the goal to end the water crisis within our lifetime. So we are going to be talking about the Global 6K when we are in World Water Day. Now, if you want to learn more about the Global 6K, that is scalinguph2o.com forward slash 6K. Why is it a 6K instead of a 5K? Because the average person that does not have access to clean, accessible drinking water has to walk six kilometers in order to get that water. That means they're not in school. That means they're not doing other things. And unfortunately, really horrible things can happen while they're walking to and from getting water. So by bringing water to their communities, it just opens up so many opportunities for individuals all over the world. And Team World Vision is just a great organization. But we're going to talk about that more once we are at World Water Day, March 22nd. But if you do want to put on your calendars, May 18th is when we are all doing the Global 6K. And I hope you join Team Scaling Up Nation because that is where we all come together, share pictures, and we do a Global 6K wherever you are in the world. We're coming together as the scale Scaling Up Nation to hopefully end the world water crisis. Another conference that's always well attended, and you talk about an amazing trade show. This is the American Boiler Manufacturers Association Conference and Expo in Denver, Colorado, May 1st through 2nd. Of course, our friends from Ware Boiler will be there. They are some of the most fun people, and they have an amazing exhibit booth. So if you're there, by all means, check out what they bring to the exhibit hall. 
And uh, Richie's always great for t-shirts. So he's got some amazing t-shirts there. And folks, if you have not heard Richie Ware and Steve Taylor of Ware Boilers, that was a fun episode. That was episode 318. And that, of course, is who I was just referring to. So by all means, go over to episode 318 and you can see how much fun you will have if you see them at a trade show. Also, coming in Beijing, China, May 27th through 31st, the 15th International Conference on Hydroinformatics is taking place. So we're going to have all the information you want to know about this conference and everything else we mentioned. Heck, we're going to have things we didn't even mention because we have the entire year up there on the events page. How do you get there? You go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash events, or you can just navigate over to the events page once you get to our webpage, and you will see we have a complete calendar. We can even assist you with putting things in your calendar by simply clicking. It will then download a file to you to put everything into your calendar so you can plan the entire year, and there'll even be links that open up how you can register. The staff here at Scaling Up H2O is amazing, and they're making it easy for you to continue your service day and drive properly with hands on 10 and 2 or 9 and 3 or however they're teaching that now. I just taught my son to drive last year. And I know I was taught at 10 and 2, it does not say that anymore. It says the hand position is supposed to be 9 and 3. I'm sure it will change again in our lifetime. But anyway, now you know I just updated what the manual said to you. I don't know why they change it. I, I'm trying to remember where I actually keep my hands on the steering wheel. I'm a very safe driver. So I, I will pay attention to that. Maybe I'll report that to you when you're at the AWT next week. But with that, I want to introduce our next guest. We're going to talk a little bit about the AWT. We're going to talk a lot about boilers. I know you are going to love this interview. My lab partner today is Barry Higgins of AquaChem. Barry, so excited to have you as my lab partner today. How are you? Very good, Trace. Excited to be here. It's been listening to you the whole every week in my car, driving around, and now to be here talking to you, it's a complete honor in my half. Well, it is my honor, and uh, we're going to talk about some things in this show, but something I do want to point out is your accent is a little different from my accent. You are from Ireland. I am. I'm from Ireland, yep. Yeah. And I want you to know that when you put in your Rising Tide Mastermind application, I was actually in Ireland, but we didn't know each other at the time. I could have done an in-person interview with you had I known that. I know, it's crazy, because I think you were only back when uh, you contacted me then, and we had the this initial discussion, and it was like crazy, because you were like, going, I was in Dublin, I was in Cork, I was in Dingle. I was like, I'm mad as that, like... <laughs> <laughs> 
I have to say, Ireland was one of my favorite trips. We did Scotland a couple years before, so we could we could see kind of over the water where yeah, we yeah. were going to be a couple years <laughs> later. But oh, oh my gosh, the the people there were so genuinely nice and just so green, so beautiful. We went all over. We we, we did like a three sixty from Dublin. Uh, we went we went down, up, and then back down, and then flew out over about a two week period. But just so many incredible things there. I am so envious you get to live there. But you probably because you're living there, you probably don't appreciate as much as really you see these things every day. You're driving from a county to county. Oh, that's a lovely mountain. That's a lovely sea. But you're probably not really kind of wretched from which you're going. Wow, this is beautiful. This is spectacular. Um, I need to kind of take it in a bit more myself. Well, we're going to talk about all things water treatment today, specifically with the boiler. But before we get there, I would love it if you could introduce yourself to the Scaling Up Nation. Who is Barry? Hi, Scaling Up Nation. Uh, Barry Higgins here. I live in Ireland, as we kind of discovered earlier. I'm married to Jennifer, my wife. She kind of gives up all the sacrifices to make sure that I can be on the roads and be at home and do her own job as well. And I have two boys, Finn and Stanta. Finn is 11 and Stanta's 10. I'm a coach uh, with their soccer team. I'm a coach with their Gaelic football team, which is a kind of a mix. It's a unique thing in Ireland. It's a mix. It's a round ball, but it's a mix between rugby and soccer. So you can pick up a ball and kick over the bar for a point or you can kick into net for a goal and it's very unique um we have it in ireland and it's one of these kind of you have to be here to see it <laughs> well as a as a, a child middle school and a little bit in high school i played soccer and some friends invited me to a rugby game oh my gosh that is so different than soccer <laughs> and uh, i really got bruised up <laughs> Very different game. So uh, I wanted to talk a little bit. So uh, you and I have been meeting over Zoom on the Mastermind calls for about two years now. And we had the pleasure to meet each other in person at the recent Association of Water Technologies Conference in Grand Rapids. So I want to talk about that before we got started about boilers. I'm curious, why did you feel that it was worth traveling all the way to Ireland to Grand Rapids, which I can only imagine was not a direct flight. No, it's something that I wanted to do. I haven't actually never been to the AWT meetings before, and something that I want to experience myself uh, firsthand. And myself and Robert, um, who works with me, two of us decided we, we would go and we'd try and kind of make the best of it for the week. So we kind of landed on the Tuesday. We flew into Chicago and then got the small plane up uh, to Grand Rapids. And that was an adventure and a half going across the uh, Michigan uh, lakes. Talk about turbulence. I've never exp experienced turbulence like that before. It's like, hold on to your seat, uh, Sister Potter. And he really meant it. <laughs> the plane is like, <laughs> it was probably like uh, priming in the boiler. It was like so rocking the whole way across. It was funny. And then we got there and it's just kind of blew my mind uh, being in Grand Rapids. I've never, I looked it up and I had kind of done a bit, but it was just kind of so kind of funky of a city and then we got down to the conference and the first person we met was Angela Pike and again I conversed with Angela through email and stuff and suddenly when you meet her in person and go wow you are a force you know and it's just the uh what what a brilliant lady and woman uh, she is like and 
Barry, one of my favorite things I think I heard at the entire conference was when you and I ran into each other and you told me you finally met Angela and you said, oh, she's Scottish. Everything makes sense now. <laughs> yeah, it's gas because like we're on the email, you don't hear people's accents. So like nobody knows where you're from. I think it's just like you're conversing in email and then you, you meet somebody and go, whoa, your accent, you're Scottish. It's uh, funny. <laughs> So you get to the AWT. It's the first time you've ever experienced it. What was that experience like? It was good. It was kind of, yeah, just meeting all the different suppliers, meeting people, and people not trying to sell you. So, which, you know, it's a good thing. You're meeting people, and they're, like, we, met, we met loads of people from the Mastermind as well. And everybody's just out to have a chat, like, and you're talking to people. And some of these trade shows you go to, and all those people want to do is sell you their wear, and you know they don't really want to explain what they're, what's happening in their industry, what they see, the predictions are, and you're getting a really good kind of conversation of different people and how they see the work stream industry, or how they see the software industry, or how they see their controllers industry going. Like, so it's not just like, here's my new controller, will you buy it off me? You know, there's a really kind of in-depth uh, conversations with people. I found, yeah. Will you come back? Definitely, yeah. I'm I'm hooked on it now, so it's uh it's probably going to be an annual trip for me. Uh, just the jet lag killed me. I just couldn't get over the the, uh, the jet lag the first day, the second day, and by the third day, I just wanted to be glued to the bed. I was like, "Going, please, just give me energy." That's it. It's about a five hour difference you and I have from East Coast to where you are. Yeah, five hours difference. Yeah, so so that would have been a six hour difference, and that's a big part of the day. Oh, this is because like even at eight o'clock in the evening, ground rapid time was probably two o'clock our time uh, in real time. So, but I'm usually going to bed by nine thirty at night time. So realistically, I should have been going to bed, you know, like two o'clock in the day, um, you know. But then I would have missed on the fun. So, jet lag is real. When we went on that Scottish trip, uh, I can't sleep on airplanes. It doesn't matter how tired I am. I just don't fit in the seat. Uh, you and I are both tall. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which, by the way, I didn't know until I met you in person. It's funny, you you see somebody <laughs> over Zoom for two years and you're like, oh, I didn't realize you were so tall because, you know, we're sitting on, on Zoom. So, but anyway, I can't fit into seats. So there's nothing I can do to make myself comfortable to sleep on an airplane. So didn't sleep on the airplane. Of course, we, we get to Scotland and where we left at night, it's now morning. And we we knew we couldn't go to sleep because that was going to ruin our entire trip. And we were doing the most active things that we could do just to stay up. We hiked Arthur's seat instead of uh, coming back and taking the little trolley to our hotel room. We walked back. And as I, I, I told my wife that, hey, I'm just going to close my eyes for five minutes before dinner. And I woke up the next morning. So... <laughs> Anyway, jet lag is a real thing. Yeah. I feel your pain on that. Well, Barry, I, I wanted to ask, uh, before we get off the AWT, is there anything like the Association of Water Technologies over in Ireland? No, uh, there is in the UK. Um, there's the Water Society, uh, Management Society. And again, it's kind of geared at independent companies. But again, it's not like they don't really do much training. Like they have got better and they do, they are putting some training on and they are kind of getting a bit better at getting back to kind of something like the AWT. Like the AWT is brilliant for the training and even their online training and just general kind of information that they send out and books and stuff like that. But the UK, it's really kind of really more legislated towards uh, Legionella 
lead generator seems to be like if you don't kind of want to know about lead generator, you don't want to be an expert in lead generator, it doesn't kind of seem to want to, you know, kind of you can't really fit. Like there is other things, but it's really lead generator and heating and chill closed systems uh, is the two, the three kind of babies that they kind of really push the whole time. So I think the AW2 is a whole more, it's more industrial centers, more kind of industrial for boilers, cooling towers, wastewater. There's a lot more uh, of that for sure. I've heard people refer to the Water Management Society as WIMSOC. <laughs> yeah. Just rolls off the tongue, yeah. WIMSOC. <laughs> Barry, how did you get into the water treatment industry? Okay, this is, uh, I definitely wasn't born into it, I fell into it. When I was in college, there was um, a guy, Shane Coleman, who was in college with me, and his father was working for Grace Dearborn at the time. And he'd be talking about, oh, my dad works in water treatment. And I was like, what the hell is water treatment? Um, I had no idea. And I finished college, went to America for a few years, worked in bars, restaurants, came home to Ireland, got a job selling a stainless steel. I was out celebrating and I met Shane again. I hadn't seen him in 10, 15 years, 10 years, probably even the last seven years. And he was saying, oh, my dad set up his new water gym company and he's uh, got a job in Cork. I was like, mm, no, Cork's too far. Um, sorry, but he said, give me a number and we'll uh, keep you in mind. And six weeks later, I got a phone call. Uh, to say there was a job in Dublin would be interesting. I go, oh, I'll come and talk to you. Have a go. Went, met them, and go, wow, I love this. Uh, I love the sound of what you do. Um, so got the job, handed my notice. Old work, the new work that I was already after getting wasn't too happy, obviously, because I was only there six weeks and I was gone again. And within three weeks, I nearly got sacked because Aquachem had a, a rule at the time where you can't send anything technical out for six months. It's to protect yourself and protect the company. And I rushed, sent something out. The customer went crazy, rang Kieran, the boss, gave out. But it actually turned out it wasn't too far wrong from what he actually needed. But it's just the way I'd written it. And the customer was a bit cheesed off that he had to pay 20,000 euros for a chlorine dioxide unit when he thought he was going to get something more cost effective. But it turned out anyway, like it worked out well for me. So I got my six months over. I got fully, whatever, probation out of the way. And then 18 years later, I'm still here. So so what is the day in the life like for Barry at Aquachem? It varies. This is what I love about water treatment. Like, there's no two days the same. Like, one day you could be working on a tender for 20 euro. The next day you could be working on a tender for 100,000 euro. And in between then, you could be doing servicing. You could be doing training. You could be out in the field, support. Um, you know, so there's no, like, that's what I love about the war gym. Like, you, even traveling-wise, you don't go to the same place every day. You're meeting different people. You're meeting mad characters. You're meeting people who you would go the extra mile because you know that they are passionate about their business and their plants and like, they care about it. Like, so you kind of, you know, want to row in behind them and help them as well. So, yeah, I don't know. It's just, they're, that's that's what I love about it. It's just a variety of it. Like there's never, never the same happening all over again. I couldn't agree with that more. And you mentioned characters. I'm thinking back at some of the customers that I still know, and they need to make movies about these people. It's like you cannot make characters like this up. And yeah. um, I'm sure everybody has the story about that one guy. I mean, nice as he could be, but he's just a character and, and how he... Uh, <laughs> how he talks or whatever. So uh, our job is never boring if you do it right. Agree with that? Oh, 100%, yeah. And you have to be always learning. And you have to be always kind of like pushing the boundaries. I, I describe it like MacGyver. 
because you have to be like trying to fix stuff uh, that might even be broke yet. But in your head, you're kind of going, if this goes wrong, what do you do here? And you're kind of, you're doing chemistry, physics, maths, Irish, English, you know, you're, you're kind of people, people correct you for saying stuff and you send a report and go, I don't like the way you wrote that report. Could you take that out? Maybe or you know, that sounds a bit harsh and, uh, but it's the truth. Yeah. I, I, I can't imagine a better industry. Barry, I wanted to ask a couple of months ago, you all put out a social media post and our executive producer, Corinne, who does an amazing job on the Scaling Up H2O podcast, she saw it and thought it was one of the most comprehensive but yet simplistic ways to look at a boiler. And I thought we would talk about boilers using that post as a, as a guideline. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Yeah, well, I can't take all the credit for that. Laurie O'Donoghue, who works in our marketing department, this is Laurie's beautiful skill as well. She's able to take very technical stuff and do a lovely curated drawing and put everything together. And even though it's still very technical and still loads of information in it, she just has this beautiful knack of making everything look simple. But yet, it's still all the nuts and bolts are there about it. Well, Scaling Up Nation, we're going to have this drawing, this PDF, on our show notes page. So you can you can go on scalinguph2o.com and go to this episode, and we will have all of that there. We're going to talk around it. The thing I like about it is it's almost as if we just opened the door to a mechanical room. We walked in, there's the boiler, and now you took us through each different part of a boiler and some top items that we need to check for. So Nation, if you'll just follow along in your mind's eye, you just walked into a boiler room and Barry, you just walked into a boiler room. What's the first thing you go look at? Pre-treatment and the water, the source of the water, where is your water coming from? So it's vital to know where your water is coming from. So if you're a new rep coming into a site, the first thing you want to do is analyze the water, find out river, city, town, rainwater, reuse water. You know, that's that's your critical starting point. You know, what, what's, what's in the water first? And then everything else follows from that. Then, you know, your pre-treatment comes after that. But your critical is to find out the source of the water and any impurities, hardness, all that kind of good stuff. That would be a initial starting points. So if everything's fine, I'm assuming you would move on. Let's say you find something wrong with your pre-treatment. Let's say you find that the softener's not working. What would you do next? Being Barry, I would want to investigate, is there salt in it first? The obvious, like check the obvious, is there power out? Uh, get the operator, ask them, have they noticed anything strange with a numbers flashing up on the, on the dial? You know, talk to the operators. They're usually a really good sound board. They're the lads who are on the site most of the day. They'll see problems, you know. So you talk to the operators, ask them, have they noticed something? If that happens, then do a quick check in through the um, menu to see if there's any diagnostics flashing up. If not, then it's service. When was the last service done? And then, you know, like that from there, it's probably a fact finding then what what's actually causing it. 
a lot of us will go in, we'll just do a grab sample. Is it soft? Is it hard? We'll move on to the next test. My father taught me to do a composite sample where you've got a five gallon bucket and you just let the thing kind of drip over an entire shift and then you go back and test for it. Do you ever do anything like that? Sometimes, yeah, they rolled slowly and then take your sample it. So I'm, I'm amazed that uh, a lot of things that the generation previous to us taught us aren't being practiced as much as they once were. Same thing over in Ireland? Definitely the same. And even the way when I started first 18 years ago, nearly every butter house had at, at least you know one, one dedicated butter man. And some of them even had a butter man that was there full time. And that, that was his job, like taking more samples, doing analysis, tidying up. the, And the, you could eat your dinner off the floors like they were that clean. And within, I'd say, about four or five years, they're all vanished. And even that skill is lost on most the sites. Like, you know, there's people, they come in and their job is to maybe check salt, but they're not really a boiler house person in, in the old sense. Yeah, so there's definitely a skill that's been lost uh, down through my generation even. Totally agree with that. And, and unfortunately, that's the same over here as well. I remember my dad taught me this industry. There were always people that were manning boiler rooms and mechanical rooms. And I can't remember the last time somebody had a dedicated job that that's all they did. Normally, they've got 15 other things. And when they have time, then they might look at the boiler. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's the unmanned problem. Then, you know, this is, you know, what they're saying. It's all regular or it's all. My, the butters are so good now; they don't need anybody to look after them. But of course, they do. Like you know, stuff does go wrong. Uh, it's when it's not picked up, then it becomes a major problem. Well, after we look at the water quality with the pre-treatment, what next? I would always go into your feed water samples, and I would have a look at my feed water samples. I'm very tactile, so I want to kind of smell it. I want to feel it. I want to see what it looks like. I want to look for clues before you can do any testing. I want to check my temperatures on my feed tank. Uh, I want to see, is the deorator working? If there is a deorator, um, I want to check, use my ears for noise. I want to see if there's any pumps making crazy noises when I'm taking my samples and then do my test. See, look for trends. Again, anything out of spec, anything crazy going to throw out of kilter if the alkalinity is in the ratio, chlorides crazy. Just general kind of observation, yeah. I love you're using all your senses. I'm curious, what smell stories do you have for us? In boilers, more so in the actual boiler itself, when you know there's a gas or there's ammonia or there's some kind of a, I have a brilliant sense of, of smell. I can smell chlorine a mile away. I can smell stuff that every, other people go, there's no smell. I go, there definitely is a smell. So I know why I can sense gases. I can smell that kind of uh i can get a trigger and go whoa there's definitely something not right with that and even the feel like i can when i'm doing a butter uh, sample i would more feel it first take off my gloves feel it see how silky it is feel it like how rough it is so you know like just hardness if there's a real like an anti you just know the kind of the feel and um, coming off the sample james mcdonald came on one time and he did a segment on the five senses being used in water treatment and I'm pretty sure I shared this story back then, but I remember I was working at the company my dad was working with, and they had invited me to come down and really learn the lab. 
and how that worked. And I was working in a lab and somebody out in the field called in and I was in my early 20s at the time. So I just wanted to prove myself. That's the only thing I cared about was proving myself. And he said, there's something wrong with this product. So I knew what to do. I grabbed the retained sample. I ran all these tests and I couldn't find a thing wrong with it. Of course, what I should have asked was, well, what do you think is wrong with it? Why are you actually calling me? So finally, I called him and I asked him, and he said, well, it just doesn't taste right. I don't know what to do with that, but he had this QC that this person would actually stick his finger on a drum of chemical and taste it, and he said it didn't taste right. I advised him not to do that anymore, and I went on to my next task. So maybe not so much taste in this industry, would you say? Yeah, I don't think so, no. But I, I actually have seen a guy uh, when he was doing a boiler uh, descaling with the ascorbic acid and like that tasting it. I'm like, whoa, what are you doing? Like, no. <laughs> That's just no, don't do that. So Scaling Up Nation, public service announcement. If you are using taste as one of the things that you are uh, testing your water treatment wares with, just stop. Don't do it. Please. All right, where do you go next, Barry? Um, I would then, I would look for my condensate sample and then I would be checking to make sure your pHs, your conductivities, iron, copper, chlorides as well. And again, general smell, general look, looking for bits of grit that come out in the sample. Um, again, using your eyes, making sure that there's no gloves of air coming with the sample. So it's kind of, again, really kind of using all your senses to make sure that you're taking everything in when you are taking a sample. So you would check for chlorides in a condensate sample to see if you're getting any sort of carryover. Let's say you find it, what do you do next? So you're onto the boiler itself then. And sometimes because the way steam works, as you know, like you're you're kind of taking a snapshot in that one moment in time. So you check your boiler and it's actually okay. You go, hmm, there's something not, not adding up. But then you go to talk to the plant manager and it's they're running a batch at the moment. So that means then that there's condensate slower coming back uh, in the system. So then you know like there's a time lapse. So then you're able to kind of pinpoint that potentially an hour or two hours ago, you were having a surge in the boiler. And because they were able to, some place they were able to go and they were able to track and they were able to go back in and look at the uh, BMS system and check to see their pressure on the system go, oh, we were actually right. We did have a spike. So it's kind of more than getting them to know what the pressure is in the butter and getting to know what loads they're using and is the butter undersized, oversized. So all these little clues that you're looking for. We have a problem over here where people think they're saving energy, so they'll turn their boiler down or off, and then all of a sudden they need to do a run, so they get it up as high as they possibly can, as quick as they can, and of course that's causing surging and priming, and we're sending all sorts of boiler water into the system because there's that vacuum that gets created there. How should an operator keep their boiler during low load periods? And if they get a sudden demand, what should they do? I would say, yeah, you're better off keeping it at the pressure that it needs to be at, keep it under load, and then letting it go off nice and slowly, building up. Um, because priming, you know, is the boiling shaking inside the boiler. And then that potentially could turn into foaming, or, you know, as you said, it's you then have water hammer in the system. So it's kind of, yeah, you want to try and avoid 
major kind of like everything else it has to have some control on it so if you're letting it go yin and yang and up and down you've lost that control so you want to try and take the control back so can the control would be you probably when you work it out you're actually not saving any money by turning off starting again dirty cycle dirty steam going off so it's yeah it's better off to have a control and the control would be to keep it under pressure yeah, my dad always said boiler water should be in the boiler and condensate should be in the condensate line. And if you find boiler water in the condensate line, there's a reason for that. And and nine times out of 10, it's the boiler is not being operated properly. But nine times out of 10, we will always get blamed first. Yeah, it's your chemicals. Trace, you put your you put too much alkalinity into this boiler. It's always too al- too much alkalinity. That's what yeah. everybody says. Not, nothing got to do with the seven thousand conductivity in the boiler, but yeah, that's that's a side <laughs> note. <laughs> so let's go back to the condensate. So you said you always check for metals like copper and iron. What do those things tell you? Again, if you like most hospitals, we would even some food factories in theory should all have stainless steel, but some of them over the years with issues and problems have put in copper and so so you know like when like your steam cools down you have your h2o and then you have when alkalinity you have high alkalinities in the world or even any alkalinities the two of them are going to combine in your condensate to form carbonic acid and then that carbonic acid it can be very mild and weak and you might even notice it because it wouldn't affect the ph too much but when obviously there's a high load of alkalinities the higher the carbon dioxide is then the carbonic acid becomes an issue because then the pH can be down at 4.5, which is lovely acid running around your steam system. And if you've got copper, mild steel, it's going to eat them, it's going to groove them. And then you're going to see, oh, I've got a mad spike here in my copper levels. Uh, What could be causing this maybe? I remember I was 17 years old. My dad took me out on an inspection that they actually cut out some sections of condensate. And he showed me, and he used the term, it looked like an inchworm just buried its way through the bottom of the condensate line. And I'll always remember that image. And, and he asked me, he goes, why isn't it on the top? Why is it on the bottom? And at the time, I couldn't answer, but now we know, hey, that's gravity. That's where the water is. That's where the carbonic acid is. So you're, you're testing to make sure that those metals are staying in the pipe and not liberating out into the water. Yeah, exactly. Because you don't want the metals going into the water and then becoming plating out on the metal, especially copper, because then you're going to get galvanic corrosion. It's bad enough getting pit and corrosion inside in the water. You don't want to be adding another lovely set of uh, cathodes. And I know it's happened a lovely little party for themselves and a corrosion party. You want to try and avoid all, all them corrosion parties if you can. There in the condensate lines, there's a steam trap. And yep. hopefully the steam stays where the steam stays and the condensate stays on the opposite side. Occasionally we get leaks. What's your favorite way to test for that? On the steam traps? I, I'm always mad into pushing people to do maintenance on their steam traps at least once a year, having them checked. The amount of money that they can save on energy by having their steam traps in good condition as opposed to fouled, not running, letting pure steam life back, letting the wet condensate back, not taking all the gases out, like doing the proper job that they are. And it's very, it's a very simple process to do, but some customers just don't see the real uh, benefit. They think, oh, I bought a, a steam trap 20 years ago and it's, it's perfect and there's no whistling noise. No, that's the way that it's meant to work. So yeah, 
Uh, and I have actually got a very funny joke about steam traps. I'll tell you, will I? Please. Yeah. How do you stop a runaway steam boiler? How do you stop a runaway steam boiler? With a steam trap. There we go. I'll get Sean there, to add go. a sign of sound effect to that it's one. It's more of a dad's joke. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. So with that, we're, we're talking about condensate. Um, you know, talking about steam traps, I remember I got a ladder out to check something. And somebody said, why are you doing that? I was like, well, there's no other way to check it. It's way up there. And they said, yeah, you've got a thermometer with an infrared laser on there. Just shoot it up there. And and, and they're fairly accurate. But if you've got way different temperatures, normally that steam trap is working. If it's the same on both sides, it's not working. No. I would say most of our clad, you know, so it's very hard even when you're using them infrared thermometers as well because it just bounces off the um, bounces off the clad and, and you're not going to get a true reading as well. So sometimes it's very hard to actually read them. Well, I guess some of ours aren't as insulated as they should be, and okay. maybe that's why it works <laughs> over here. So there we go. We need to learn from Ireland and do more insulation over <laughs> here in the states. Then we got to get that ladder back out. <laughs> All right, Barry, so now we're moving on into the boiler. What are you looking for? In the boiler, again, you're looking for smells. You're obviously not going to try and taste it. On this occasion, you will feel it. You'll be looking for how hard it feels, how silky it feels. You're going to be doing, you're running your test. You know, if you're using sulfide, you want to be checking your sulfide, your phosphate. If you're using a phosphate, you're using a coolant. You want to be looking for different ratios with your pre-alkalinities, your M-alkalinities, your OHs. You want to be checking TDS and making sure that you're within the manufacturer's recommendations, your chlorides as well. So you want to be able to look at your numbers through from your makeup water to your feed, to your condensate, and make sure that they all can tally up and that you're not getting a crazy spike somewhere. And again, it's a holistic approach looking at the whole. Normally, like we're using the uh, Aqua Phoenix E service system. So the beauty of that is once you set it up with your controls, each time you go in, you're able to put in your input, your data, and you can look back on three. You can see the last three results, so it's perfect. You can go, wow, yeah, last time was actually a problem as well. You know, so you're not trying to guess, and you're not going back to the old papers, rummaging around. So, like, it's a very useful tool as well that you can physically see your results in front of you and what the kind of the gaps was or what the, the problems were the last three times as well. Trending data is so important, especially during seasonal shifts where, um, you know, how did it look last year? And are we doing the exact same trend as last year? And then maybe we can do an improvement. Maybe we can talk to the operator, get them to actually operate the boiler in a more preferred manner. Maybe we can add something so when it goes from one season to another, we adjust a chemistry. Maybe that's, that's something that we do. But we all know that because we're looking at trends. And so many people just look at what they have in front of them and that's a limited viewpoint, don't you agree? Absolutely, yeah. It's like the whole point of doing the test is that you're trying to get data points and then improve, you know, for a customer. Customers paying you to be their eyes and ears and they're, they're experts on site. So you want to go in above and beyond and just not come in and and test. You want to be able to show them, look, you're wasting money here, guys, or you're, you're saving money here. And then it becomes, that account becomes your account because look, somebody else just can't come in and I'll offer 10% reduction. The customer goes, no, actually, I'm very happy with 
the service Acrocam are giving me and they're actually helping me save money. Whereas you guys are just going to come in, cut them by 10%, but not actually do anything for me. So uh, customers see that value when you try and put that extra effort in to try and help them uh, and it, it pays for itself in the long run. I love that because I preach that so many times on this podcast. If you're not telling the customer the value that you bring, a lot of times they're not going to see that because they're busy doing so many other things. So it's fine. Toot your own horn. Let them know all the great things that you do. But more importantly, let them know why you're doing it for them and what it means to them. But saving money um, for customers really is it or, or making friends? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, customers, uh, it's just my nature. I want to help people and I want to kind of solve problems. I love solving problems. And if I can see a problem, solve it. And, you know, if it costs the customer money today, but he's going to get a a return on investment very quickly, I think it's a very, it's a win win for everybody. Yeah. It's kind of, I don't really have one in particular, but it just, that would be my general way of uh, going about the day. Barry, you brought up the service report. So a lot of people will just send an email service report. What's the proper way to go through a service report with a customer? You have to meet them. You have to explain to them what you're finding and how they can improve it. And the same way if the site are doing their own daily tests and weeks, there's no point in having just a black and white sheet and them filling out. They have to have controls and they have to have what to do if these controls are out of spec, like action points. So take these four items and you will get it back into spec. Like So if your GDS is up at 7,500 and they're not doing any blowdown, they're just going, oh, well, Barry will be back in in 30 days. Uh, we need for him. 30 days is too long. So we'll try and train the people, bring them along with us on the journey. And the whole thing of knowledge is key. You know, you're better off empowering people and showing them, giving them uh, documents on what to do if this thing is out of spec and how they can, you know, so sometimes I see people and they go and they, they'll test the, the steam boiler and they'll find the alkalinity is 4,000 or, you know, for argument's sake, and they start trying to pump down and then they might get called off and they forget to do the rest of the, the, the boilers. But the real problem is that the TDS is crazy. And they haven't actually gone and done the rest of the test and go, all right, just turn down the alkalinity pump. That's that's my problem solved. Um, you know, and then they come back a few days later or somebody else comes back a few days there and does it as well. So it's kind of it can become foolhardy then as well. So you need to have a plan, you need to have an action plan of what to do if stuff is out of spec. Earlier you mentioned e-service reports. There's so many programs out there where we can have our customers log into the same system that we're using. So now their data becomes part of our data. Is that something you do as well? Yeah, we try and encourage all our customers because I kind of sell it as a tool to them, you know, that it's having remote monitoring without having remote monitoring. Like they're actually physically doing the test anyway, so they're putting in two, and we get alerts, and we can set up alerts to say, if this is out of spec, please do this. If that's out of spec, please do that. And again, it's a kind of beds and braces for the customer as well, because they know like that somebody's watching them and helping them with their water treatments when, when we're not there. Just the other day, we were looking over some operator logs, and we saw that the readings just weren't making sense. All, all of them were off, and they were consistently off. 
And we were like, okay, something's going on here. Well, there was a new person that they say, hey, you, you got some extra time. You go figure out how to run those boiler tests. And he was not running them properly. So that allowed us to come in, show value, actually show everybody how to run the test. And something we've done as a company, because we can't be everywhere we want to when the customer needs us there, is uh, we've done videos. So we gave them uh, access to all the videos that we've done. So now in their training program, they can see yours truly actually run some of the, the test on videos. And as soon as we did that, we now started seeing the right numbers on there. We wouldn't have known that if we weren't getting them to put that data in there. And like you said, it would have been 30 days and we would have had so many more problems to deal with in 30 days. Well, I think yeah, you hit the nail in the head about giving people training because it dilutes the message. I think like, you know, if you give an operator a trainer on site, in theory, they have learned something from you, but they haven't learned all your experience. So like it's wrong for them to think that they can just pull it off on somebody else and give them twenty minutes training and say, Here you go, blah blah blah. Do do your testing now. Whereas it makes more sense for the water training people who have been doing this for years to go in and explain to the person the nuts and bolts of why they're doing this and how to do it properly. It you know it pays back because I I've seen this over the years. It's just it just gets lost in translation and delivered delivered them because some people have so so bad habits. Just quick quick holding drop it upside down, holding it wrong. It, I've seen people with the lid still on it and squeezing it. <laughs> it doesn't work with the lid on it. You you save on reagent that way, but it doesn't do very well in the test. No. <laughs> Barry, I will say, so this was the newest person in that entire facility, and he now learned more about the test that he was running and, more importantly, the why. He is now in charge of all that testing, and he's actually training other people to do that, or, or that's what his boss said that they want him to do because he got training, probably more training than the other people got because they assumed that they had it and they turned us down for years. So I felt like we made a good connection to a young engineer, and as we all know, engineers like to go other places, and hopefully... When he's the engineer to 15 buildings, he's going to take us with him. Happy days, you know. It's like it is, it's all about training. It's all about treating people right and giving them the right tools because there is people that are very smart. And you find that with um, cooling tires and people just really get involved in them um, because it's a legal requirement. Steam boilers, it's not so much illegal, even though it is legally uh, requirements. People sometimes don't love them as much as they would a cooling tire, I definitely find. I am envious because we do have some laws around boilers, but nothing as you have over in Ireland. Uh, we pretty much just have to have them inspected on an annual basis and the hopes that nothing, nothing happens in between. What are some of the laws that, that you're speaking of in Ireland? Again, it's, well, they're more regulated to the UK than they are. not we kind of semi-adopt them, but we don't fully take them on. In, in the UK, you have to do a risk assessment on your steam boiler. Again, everybody who works on the steam boiler has to have training by the British Standard Guidelines. And one of the stipulations is that they cannot train another operator on, on that site. It has to come from a water treatment or a, a professional body to train them. There, it, we, there's loads of British Standard Guidelines on how to run a steam boiler 
how you have to do your insurance low alarm check once a week. And you have to bring it down to the very low level alarm and make sure that all your alarms are working. So there's, yeah, there's a lot more kind of robust regulation about them um, in the UK. And we, in Ireland, we kind of semi-adopt some of the stuff, but uh, because it's not um, in law here, you try and encourage customers to, to take up as much as they can but because it's not a legal requirement, it can be sometimes a bit stumbled back to try and get them to do it. They know it's there and they know it's best practice and they kind of go, we will get to some of it. But, uh, you know, there, there is some uptake in it, but it wouldn't be a legal requirement to do everything. Let me ask, is it a legal requirement to have a sample cooler on all your boilers? As a health and safety, it definitely is. But again, we have a few customers who view it as a luxury and expect people to take a sample from a 10-bar pressure unit coming out with their bare hands. And you go, no, I'm sorry, we will not. And they go, but the other watching company did it. Good for them. But unfortunately, we will not. It's, you know, A, it's not safe, and B, it's definitely not. (laughs) It hurts. (laughs) (laughs) Bottom line, it hurts. Put a sample cooler on there. Yeah, Barry, we're talking about the boiler. How do you look at sampling whether the boiler is a water tube or a fire tube? Okay, yeah. So you would look at them completely different. We're mostly water tubes uh, in Ireland. There would be a few fire tubes, but it's mainly water tube. And again, so you go by the British standards, you go by your sulfite levels, your phosphate levels, you know, your kind of general tannins, uh, that kind of uh, range on them. Nation, I am so glad I met Barry a couple of weeks ago, and I know you enjoyed that interview, and I know you cannot wait for part two. Well, unfortunately, you are going to have to wait until next week, and we will bring part two with Barry Higgins to you on that episode. You'll just have to wait. Part two is just as good as part one. And I have to say, I love being able to talk boilers with people and to just say, hey, this is what's going on or what do you do if this happens and somebody can answer you, that is a water treatment nerd's favorite conversation. So we're going to have a lot more boiler nerdity next week. But until next week, I know you cannot wait another week until we hear from James McDonald. So here's a brand new Drop by Drop with James. Welcome to Drop by Drop with James, the podcast segment where we wonder, explore, think about, imagine, and learn industrial water treatment. You guessed it, Drop by Drop together. This week's episode is a challenge for you. I challenge you to focus on cleaning up your customers' water treatment areas for the next week. Practicing safety first, wipe down those controllers, dosing pumps, tops of softeners, membrane housings, testing areas, and so forth. Throw away any garbage. Remove extra buckets and drums. These items are often the first thing an end user sees when they check out your areas of responsibility. You certainly want that impression to be a positive one. Also, you never know when it could be used to sell against you as a picture in your competitor's presentation or even posted on social media. Take pride, clean it up, and be safe. 
I'm James McDonald, and I want to encourage you to be like water by forming bonds with those around you, dissolving new knowledge, and making worthy ripples, drop by drop. As always, thank you, James, and thank you, Scaling Up Nation, for listening. As I said, we're going to have part two of Barry next week. And of course, next week, I hope to see so many of you in Frisco, Texas, for the Association of Water Technologies Technical Training. If you're there, please come up and say hi. And if you're considering going, I am going to try to push you over that line that you were trying to figure out and say, if you are in the same type of water treatment that I am and you have the opportunity to go, you should say yes, because it is amazing all the information that you will get in a week. Now, maybe you're thinking, I've already been, I've already checked that box, maybe even got the t-shirt. I was giving out t-shirts one year. Maybe you have a Scaling Up H2O t-shirt. Well, folks, I have to tell you, I have been going to these things for well over a decade. I learn something new each and every time I am there because the amazing people that teach there are just a wealth of knowledge. And it's just amazing to listen and learn with all the things that they've experienced. And as they experience new things, they are changing what they are teaching, enhancing it each and every year. So if you've already been, you have only tasted a small amount. I like to say it's like drinking from a fire hose. You got some water, but there's plenty of water left to go back and drink. I'm inviting you to drink from that hose once again. Nation, if you are traveling to Texas, have a safe trip. And of course, be safe wherever you are. I will have another episode for you next week where we're going to continue with our interview with Barry Higgins. Have a great week, folks. Scaling Up Nation, I believe there are so many potential CWTs out there, but they just haven't sat for the exam. And I know that that is a daunting exam. I remember when I told people I was taking it and I was so worried that there would be people that knew if I did not pass it. And I truly believe it's that fear that so many people don't even sign up to take the exam. Well, I am here to help because we built a course designed to build your confidence so you can sit for that CWT exam and prove to the world your excellence in this industry. Go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash CWT prep. Once again, that's scalinguph2o.com forward slash CWT prep and start building that confidence to take your exam today.